0: Welcome to the Service Department News podcast, where we discuss all the latest news and developments from across the service department, apart hotel and extended stay sectors. Hello and welcome to the Service Department News podcast. I'm Felicity Cousins, Assistant Editor at Service Department News, and today I'm talking to Stephen McCall, CEO of Eden. Good morning, Stephen.
1: Good morning, Felicity. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, good to to speak to you. Um, I'm going to be talking to you about Lock and Cove mostly. Um, I know you also have Seiko under the Eden umbrella, um, which is worldwide. But Lock and Cove are European based at the moment, aren't they?
1: Yeah, those are our two core growth brands. Seiko is still an important part of the business, but most of our growth is through these
0: two brands. And... Why do you think, I saw your Q1 results, your performance was really strong for the mid and long stay sector. Why do you think that sector is doing so well at the moment? And is it anything to do with the pandemic?
1: Well, there's a whole host of reasons. Some of them are fairly obvious. Some of them are a bit more profound around traveller behaviour. But it's worth pointing out, I think, to start with that before COVID, uh, the extended stay sector, which is a bit of a catch all, but let's just use that term for convenience, was the fastest growing segment of hospitality. So, like so many aspects of our life, you know, COVID has accelerated changes that were already kind of becoming apparent or at least evolutionary. Um, but you can add a bunch of stuff to that, I suppose. I mean, guests, particularly during the pandemic, were looking for security and autonomy. And certainly, our pure service department model, like our Cove brand, um, has less common areas, so there's therefore less mixing of mm. people. I mean, that was basic kind of hygiene factor back then. Um, and I think the flexibility and adaptability of both service departments and apart hotels um, was a major strength, both from a guest perspective. So you know that kind of um, that kind of choice, that autonomy, ability to look after yourself, but also from an economic and business model perspective. Extended State generally has much higher operating margins than a lower cost base. So um, as as everybody had to drop a rates, and let's not forget, the Extended State sector did well, but it was still a tough time, right? So as everybody yeah, had so. to drop the rates, hotels became, got much closer to to falling below that marginal cost level that you have to cover to stay open. Mm. And so aside from government regulations, many more um, extended-stay providers could stay open economically during the pandemic than, than a traditional hotel, particularly international hotels, as you can imagine. So there's some fairly obvious stuff there. And I guess our ability to pivot into leisure, corporate demand almost disappeared during the pandemic. Um, And so we did something that we were kind of planning on longer term, but we went deeper and harder than we'd originally anticipated. And we opened a lot of our channels to leisure business. And it was lucky, I guess, that we'd introduced Cove, which is, a far more consumer-friendly service department product. Traditional service department products are pretty functional and transactional. To be honest, well, that's what so I was going way. to
0: say. I was going to say it's quite a disruptive brand in that sense, isn't it? Because you've you've gone from like quite traditional to really lifestyle boutique and like kind of on trend.
1: Well, it is, but I guess this is something that's long overdue. So, I mean, there's no reason to believe that anyone. Uh, prefers relatively bland, sterile surroundings simply because it's a company that's picking up the bill. That's like kind an of odd way to look at things. So, you know, we recognise there's an, there's an epidemic of loneliness amongst travellers, mostly longer-stay travellers, but sitting in a city surrounded by a purely functional, you know, white palette service department product for a, a month or so is not a terribly engaging proposition. And so I guess for us um it it seemed like the natural thing to do but we'd also have lock in our portfolio which is a far more experiential high design fully animated and activated product and we've seen the appeal of that brand not just to um independent and leisure travelers but also to corporate travelers so it's a universal need you know the search for beauty and aesthetics and experience is not a trivial pursuit i always say yeah. and and you know there's no need no need to to suffer it if you're just because you're on a corporate dollar so yes it's disruptive in that sense but i guess a bit overdue so so we we did manage to pivot quite significantly towards leisure with both brands but what that did for us, and this is the more interesting point I get, was it it started to change our business model from extended stay, predominantly corporate, into what we refer to now as a hybrid platform. And you probably heard that yep. term increasingly recently. It's become a bit of a buzzword. But hybrid really is all about optionality for the guests and flexibility for us, really. So... If you imagine um, you can sell an apartment room for one night or one year, you can sell a traditional hotel room for a few nights and then that's it. So Mm. for us, the sort of flexibility and the adaptability across different segments of our guest mix is hardwired into our product. So we can do things that traditional hotel operators just can't. Mm. And that's become really a feature of our model now. We still like extended stay business. It's very profitable. It gives you a good long-term base it's kind of a little bit cyclically resilient as well, which is why you've seen service department providers operating so well in the downturn, but it enables you to manage your revenue stream across a much wider basis. It's actually a far more lucrative way to do business.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I can see that. And, and I guess when you're looking for your, where you're putting your new properties um, and you're looking for the buildings. They've obviously got to be of a certain um, size and structure to to incorporate the size of the apartments. Um, at the moment, you've focused like on Europe, and for Cove, you've gone into um, is it the Netherlands and and just the UK so far?
1: Um, and the Hague, yeah. And so Amsterdam and the Hague and the Netherlands. Yeah, um, yeah. And then other...
0: for, and Locke is Ireland and Germany in the UK. And I just wondered if if you're would would a lock guest be looking for something in the Netherlands and, and then go to Cove? Or would they that go to another apart hotel, or would they would they stick with the brand? The brand. Wow. Well,
1: I, I think the, the difference in choice between lock and cove is largely down to a couple of factors. One is length of stay. Cove rooms tend to be longer, they're more mm-hmm. designed for longer stays. Mm-hmm. Um but it's really a question of how deeply immersed in the neighborhood you want to be and how adventurous a traveler you are. So Locke tends to be located in sort of, you know, fairly hip, fairly up and coming neighborhoods. We do a lot of community activation work. There's cocktail bars and restaurants on site. It's a very immersive experience and it's quite largely community driven. So good for people who want to who want to feel like they've traveled to experience, to use a cliche, a right. place. A cove is is a bit more life in all modes, so it, it's probably a more independent proposition. But the same guest may choose Locke for one occasion and Cove for another. It really depends on, on the reason for their travel, the reason for their stay.
0: Sure. Okay, thanks. And with um, Adagio's co-living concept, um, will, you, will you follow that lead? What do you think of this digi- whole digital nomad and, and working together and, and that space? That they've, they've stepped into and it's been an interesting interesting one to go into
1: basically you're sharing kitchen and common area facilities with a cluster of rooms
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think for our guests what we've learned is that the extent to which they want to be part of a broader community either with travelers that they know or don't know is something they want to choose in their own terms the problem with co-living is it's not that flexible if you're in a co-living apartment you pretty much have to use the shared facilities and that doesn't suit a lot of the people a lot of the time um it, it's a it's a model that's really interesting and on the face of it should be a huge vehicle for growth but actually existing co-living um providers and the collective is a good example of this have really struggled i guess to get the economics to work and there's a very low price ceiling on what people prepare to pay for a micro apartment particularly when. The expectation is that they share facilities with strangers, and it really depends on the individual. But we think there's a much broader pool of people who, who want to look after themselves in their own rooms and choose to engage with the community when they feel like it, not because they have to. So that's kind of my take on it. and I, and I, I have no idea how Adagio is performing. I think they, I think they've really only got one concept open in Paris. Maybe yeah, they've got the
0: Paris one, yeah. At the moment, yeah. yeah. Uh, um,
1: so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But but I think, look, I think the broader point here is that you, you can't have failed to appreciate the kind of way that the way that people think about work as part of their overall life and how that's changing. And I think that's quite a profound issue for hotels to get their heads around because hotel hotels have always been hardwired to a very specific sense of stay, right? Like, so you are a business travel, you will stay in a business hotel you're a leisure traveler, go to a resort with your family or maybe your luxury, maybe your mid-skill, but that's kind of, you have to push yourself into these like, narrow segments, but that's not really the way people are. You know, one day you might want to do something extravagant and luxurious, the next day you might want to be a little bit, you know, a, more immersed in a neighborhood that most people have never heard of. So I think that, that having a, a hybrid platform like ours gives you the ability to appeal to a much wider range of guests uh, across a much wider spectrum of stay occasions. So I think, you know, when you look at co-living or when you look at um, hybrid platforms, length of stay platforms like ours, or maybe brands like the Student Hotel, for example, these are the the more innovative platforms that are probably better geared for quite a profound change in traveller behaviour, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I've always... Thought that um, a business traveler is also a leisure traveler, you know, whereas a leisure traveler isn't necessarily a business traveler. So you've always got to to cater for everyone. We're all, we're more than one thing. But that, well,
1: that's huge. That, well, but that's precisely the point. And I think you know, there's there's going to be a lot more demand, and and maybe it's from millennials. Although I don't really like the demographic. You know, you can be uh, as old as me and still have millennial sensibilities, right? But I, I think. I think people are looking to find a way to blend um, work life and everything in between into you know the sort of rhythm of their life. And that whether that's travel or their commute or how and where they work and how they mix that in with everything else they're doing, that's going to become even more blurred than it already is. There's a very small segment of people that want to keep work and life completely apart. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why you would. You know, the whole idea that you do a nine to five you come home you take your suit off you take a deep sigh and you drop the persona that you've been holding all day that's weird you know and like in eden particularly we've tried really hard to make the working environment as natural to people's real lives as it can be because we think they're happier that way so i think that's got to come through um to traveler choice and traveler behavior as well
0: I mean, I think the timing of it is extraordinary because it, it has been the last two years that we've all been looking at how we live and work, hasn't it? Um, so, you know, you're like... I mean,
1: I I, I I bemoan my fate sometimes. And I say, if you're going to be the CEO of a hotel company at any time in the last 50 years, the last three years would be the one you didn't choose. But actually, I think we'll probably all look back on this as being not just an instructive lesson and the dynamics of the way that society changes impact business but but just an incredible story to have lived through you know I wouldn't wish on anyone again let me be very clear about that but it's you know we live, live in interesting times right and there's always something to be gained from that
0: absolutely yeah um so far you're in Europe is there any plans for either brand um to go further afield
1: I do I mean I don't think so at this stage our our growth strategy is to put our brands into european gateway cities um, and we're continuing on that road and we have a number of developments across european cities in the pipeline just now and under construction my, my very basic principle is that you know you probably want to exhaust your local opportunities and by local i mean you know uk and europe mm-hmm. before you start going continental. but there's a deeper issue as well we are sadly in my view moving into a world that is less connected and less global than it was before but i think what will happen is you'll see less intercontinental travel and a lot more sort of lo- local regional cross-border travel and so for us that that's good right. um um it, it, it's sad to see the world sort of retrenching a little bit but but those are sort of geopolitical and trends that i can't influence so i think for now we've got plenty of room for growth still in europe before we think about um the us or asia um or north america or asia but but certainly it might be something we consider in the future
0: okay and can you give us any hints about what's in the pipeline which which um european countries you're looking at
1: no not really Uh, largely because uh we have at least Three of our deals are currently in exclusivity and it's never done until it's done. Oh, yeah, but but no. yeah. You know, we are under construction in Lisbon and we'll open in Berlin towards the end of this year. Um, and, you know, we have a number of other acquisitions that we haven't announced yet, but we've been right. pretty busy, uh, quite busy during COVID actually. So... Um, but as these deals close and as we've you know dotted the I's and crossed the T's, then we'll make some announcements at that time. But it's Brilliant. lots of exciting stuff.
0: Yeah, that sounds it. Um I just wanted to ask you um one more one more thing about sustainability in the service department and the part hotel sector. Um it's it's probably easier to be more sustainable. Than the hotel model, perhaps, because you don't have so many communal areas. Although you do now, because we do have <laughs> a communal areas. So, um, what what are your thoughts on how the sector can kind of take the reins on this? Because it's not something that's going to go away. It's going to be a more and more pressing question.
1: Yeah, I look, at, I think um, relative to traditional hotels, then yes, it is a more sustainable footprint. Um, we don't uh, clean the rooms every day. Um, so, there's less waste from that perspective. People live with us a little bit longer. So, there's less impact in the overall environment, the surrounding neighborhood. We don't do large buffet breakfasts, which result in a huge amount of waste. That's true. But I think, uh, and actually, the, the, the core to sustainability is we, we think people will travel probably less frequently, but for longer. And so, that's ideal for a product like ours. But I don't think anybody in the hotel industry, including us, would jump up and down right now and say we are paragons of best practice. I mean, Eden's a young business. And so we're early in the journey and we have a sustainability strategy. But right now we're still in measurement mode. And I'm kind of reluctant to release any targets around energy, around waste, around water, or sort of broader social impact until we're absolutely clear that we know what it means and that we can get there There's a huge amount of greenwashing I think out out in the sort of broader business community and quite a backlash against it particularly recently with fund managers you know deciding to 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 be fairly aggressive in the way that they respond to companies who tell a a story that isn't true so look I I I, I've got a lot to do internally and we have a very active internal community in Eden who will hold me to account more vigorously I think than any (laughs) external party might but it's a journey we're all on. I, I just I think that we have less time than we think we have, and I think there there is going to be a ratcheting up in pace and intensity. I think over the next two years, probably maybe slightly longer than that. Um, and any any CEO of any business has to
0: take that seriously. Great, thank you. Um, I just had one more question actually before I ask if you've got any news that you can give us, but um, I just thought. There are so many brands, under brands, under brands. Is there room for another brand under Eden?
1: <laughs> that's, a, that's a million dollar question. I mean, I, as you know, come from a big hospitality, big brand background. And it was my slightly cynical view that when one brand runs out of steam, rather than try and re-engineer it for changes in underlying guest behavior, or whatever, you just issue a new brand, right? Which is not very friendly to hotel owners for a start. <laughs> it's kind of it just leaves you with a very long tail of increasingly outdated brands. Um, w- w- Locke is is not a cookie-cutter brand, so we use different designers and we program it differently for every hotel. Um, so it will evolve naturally as time goes on. Cove is a little bit more um, fixed in the way that we do our design and way we manage the hotel, um, but I don't think right now we need to be thinking about new brands. we still got plenty of distance in those two. I think what we will do, though, is we'll watch quite carefully changes in, in behaviour and in the context that we work in. And if it looks like there's a gap in the market, like we saw for Locke, um, then that would be the time to think about a, a new solution, but not right now.
0: OK, thank you. Thanks for that. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, Stephen? I think we've covered it, I hope for yeah. us. It was a bit of a whirlwind. I hope that was OK. Yeah, it was fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening to
1: the Service Department News Podcast. If you'd like to keep up to date with all the latest industry news, visit servicedepartmentnews.com and sign up to our weekly newsletter. Service Department News is part of the International Hospitality Media Portfolio.